Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. Hey, I'm your host, AJ, and I'm so glad that you're listening and tuning in whatever time of the day it is. I was about to say this morning. I'm so used to saying that on the wake-up calls that happen every Monday. But we're recording an episode for the Thursday teachings. And of course, if you're listening, it's Thursday, or at least some point of time at Thursday. I'm actually doing a Instagram live stream as I record this podcast episode. So if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you go follow me on Instagram. All the connections to socials and all that are available there on the podcast channel, wherever you're listening on Apple, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, all those places. You can find the link tree that will take you to the Instagram. I'm on TikTok as well. I would love to have you follow me on both of those platforms. And we're going to get into the episode today on the Faith for My Generation podcast. This episode is called Guard Your Heart. Guard Your Heart. I want to go to Proverbs chapter 4 and read a couple verses in the book of Proverbs. Guard your heart is the topic of this episode. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 23. Probably a very familiar verse. You've probably heard this verse before. You know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's interesting. At least I think it is. I was just looking at a verse earlier today. Um... And I've probably read that verse at least a couple dozen times. This is in the book of Psalms. And, um, you know, I have a daily reading plan to, to read through my Bible uh, about every nine months or so, uh, if I'm diligent. <laughs> Sometimes it ends up being a little bit longer. But obviously, if you consistently read through the Bible, you're going to read the same scriptures over and over and over again. And you should. You should want to. Uh, the Bible actually shows that it's important for you to constantly put before your your memory, your remembrance, your eyes, the truth of God's Word. And so here I am, I'm reading this verse in the book of Psalms, and I'm like, wow, I've read this so many times, because the Psalms especially I've read a lot. Uh, just They're just so easy to read. A lot of the chapters are very short and very bite-sized. They're easy to read and, and get, get understanding from. And when I was thinking when I was reading this in the book of Psalms, I was like, wow, my goodness. I've probably read this scripture so many times. But this point in time, it just opens up in a completely new way. Hey, Blake. Love you, buddy. And so, I'm sure Psalms 20, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 4, 23, you've probably heard this verse before, but I want you to op open up your heart, open up your mind to the truth of God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit be the teacher and, and see this in a new light that maybe you've never seen before. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth or a devious mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not return do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Proverbs twenty, Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. And that main verse, that first verse is probably the one you've heard before. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I actually, let me grab my New Living Translation Bible. I want to read it out of that version as well. That, that first verse, Proverbs 4, 23. And that's where I get the exact wording for the, the title of this episode. Guard your heart. Proverbs Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What, what I want you to see, and I want to encourage you, is this. If there is anything that you have to keep pure, that you have to guard with a fervency, 
that you have to be diligent to watch over. It's your heart. It's your inward man. It's your spirit. The greatest treasure you have is your relationship with Jesus. And that is the biggest target that Satan has that he's aiming for. He wants to destroy your relationship with Christ. And if he can't get you to, if he can't destroy your relationship with Christ, if he can't get you to quit believing in Jesus, then he's going to want to give you a cold heart or become lukewarm, become lazy spiritually. He's going to attack that relationship that you have with the Lord. And so the, the, the greatest treasure that we have is our relationship with God, which means like any other natural treasure, you think about the cold in Fort Knox, if there is any. <laughs> Some people say there's not even in there any anymore. But you think about these places, if there's great wealth, there's great riches. You know, I, I just was at the bank the other day, and I was noticing that the, this massive door that they use to close the safe, the safe, how impenetrable this safe is. Why they have this? Why do they have all the wealth and, and, and all those locker boxes that you can you can pay a fee to put prized possessions and jewelry and, and last will and testaments and all these things that you want to be protected? Why why is it so heavily guarded? Because it's of great value, and your relationship with Jesus is of extreme value. And Satan has a target. That's his target. He wants to obstruct and destroy that relationship you have with Jesus. And he's going to do it in any way possible. But he is cunning, and he is deceitful, and he is a liar, and he is a counterfeit and a faker. Satan is a deceiver. Think about it when you go to back to Genesis 1 and 2, uh, when we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What does Satan say to Eve? When Eve rehearses the command to Satan, we're, we're not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she actually adds something to it. She said, we, we don't even touch it, which God never said, don't touch it. He actually said, you're a caretaker of everything in the garden. So by, by default, if you're going to care, care for vegetation and plant life, you're going to have to touch it. You got to prune it. But she said, we, 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 we can't eat it or we'll die. And Satan says, are you sure you're going to die? Because I think actually... If you eat it, you'll be like God, and that's what God's afraid of. So he didn't just outright take what Eve said and said, nope, that's wrong. He manipulated it. He tried to add a lie to it. He tried to add a layer of delusion to it, a layer of deceit. And Satan is constantly looking for a toehold. He's constantly looking for a foothold into your heart. He's constantly looking for a way to penetrate your heart to poison it. And so we, above all else, must guard our heart from perverseness, from lies, from deceits, from wrong actions, from wrong motives, from wrong intentions. And so <clears throat> as we look at Scripture for the next few minutes here, I want us to open up some things here in what we just read in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. So first off, uh, from the New Living Translation, guard your heart above all else. That word guard, uh, of course, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And that word that is translated to the English word guard your heart, or as the New King James would say, keep your heart. That word in the Hebrew means to literally keep over, watch over, observe, it's as if a watchman is standing at the gate of a city, peering out across the horizon to see if any enemies are approaching. It's as if you're a sentry, an armed guard who is at his post, watching, constantly vigilant, not sleeping, not asleep at the job, but looking around, seeing what's coming, 
watching people walk by, making sure, all right, you know, is this person just walking by or they got some ill intentions and they kind of look shady? Okay, what what are they doing? It's kind of like in in the world of self-defense that you have to uh, be uh, have situational awareness is this phrase that they use in the world of self-defense. In other words, don't be ignorant or um, unaware of what's going on around. Oblivious, that's the word. Don't be oblivious. Don't don't be sitting in your car or, or on a street bench or walking down a street, you know, Instagramming, TikToking, texting on your phone to the point where you don't even see people passing by and they can, you know, Take take advantage of you, beat you up, steal your steal your wallet, steal your purse. You have to be situationally aware. See what's going on. Notice when people come by. Notice when people are close to you. That's that's in the area in the world of self defense. Well, why would you not take even more consideration, even more have an even greater desire to watch over your spirit and your relationship with God? And so, when the Bible instructs us, notice that that's a command. That is a command. Some people, you know, think about with commands like the Ten Commandments or other commandments in the Old Testament. But there are literally thousands of commands. Actually, in the New Testament, there are 1,050 commands. And a commentator and a Bible teacher and a man actually put together a reference Bible, Finus Jennings Dake, the Dake Annotated Reference Bible. He was a list maker, and he made that list, counted all the New Testament commands, 1,050 of them. But notice that that's a, that's a command of the of the scripture. That's a command of the word of God. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. It's not a suggestion. It is not, you know, just a, a good idea. It's not like if you have time, if it's possible. No. You have a job, a responsibility to watch over your heart. And this is important because who is going to watch over my heart? AJ is. Who is going to watch, watch over your heart? You are. You are responsible to watch over your heart. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do it. And as you give yourself and submit yourself to the Word of God, you will have instruction through the Word and by the Holy Spirit to cut through and see through the lies and schemes of the enemy. You must protect your heart and discern, judge what enters into it. You cannot allow just anything to enter into your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in fact, I'll read it. Let me read it. Deals with the battlefield of the mind. But it's the same principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh or according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God by pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, you, you're not, you cannot allow just any thought to come across your mind and live there. You cannot, uh, you have to judge every single thought. Verse 5 says it right there in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought that passes your mind, you have a responsibility to judge it and see, is this a thought that honors Christ? Is this a thought that obeys the Word of Christ? Is this something that lines up with the Word of God? So a couple things right there. Now you can see, again, if you weren't persuaded already, you must read your Bible. You've got to do it. It's, not, it's a non-negotiable there are some things that are non-negotiable. You know, if you're going to be on a team, think it's, you know, y'all that are in school, if you're on a sports team, it's non-negotiable that you show up to practice. You've got to, or you're you, you're kicked off the team. It's that simple. If you if you at your job, it's non-negotiable. You've got to be here at this time. You work for these amount of hours. You show up on these days. You do these tasks. Non-negotiable. I don't want to do those. I want to show up when I want to show up, leave when I want to leave, and do what I want to do. Okay, find another job. That's what they'll tell you, right? You'll be fired. As a Christian, 
reading your Bible is non-negotiable. Because if you do not have the Word of God being put into your heart, how will you be able to discern and judge the thoughts that come across your mind? How will you know when it's a deceptive thought, when it's a scheme of Satan, when it's a deception? How will you know? You won't. You won't be able to know because you won't have truth to test it against. But as you study the Word of God, and as the Bible says in Psalms 119, hide the Word of God in your heart, it will keep you from sinning against God. You know, it's not that hard. This idea, it's completely unscriptural, but it's this idea that people think that you can't live free from sin. But as you hide the Word of God in your heart, it will show you how to point out to see the schemes and the works of Satan. You'll see, you'll clearly, that's deception. That that doesn't line up with the truth of God's word. And so we see here in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. As I guard and watch over my heart, I'm making a point to not allow the work of the enemy, the deceptions, the lies of the enemy to enter in and contaminate and poison my heart because that is the highest responsibility that I have as a Christian because if my heart gets contaminated, if my heart is poisoned with deceptions from Satan, then everything else will be contaminated. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. If you allow your heart to be contaminated by the deceptions of Satan, by the influences of a sinful fallen world, it will determine the course of your life. It will determine whether you rise or fall with God. It will determine your eternity, heaven or hell. It will determine how you live this life, close to God or far from Him. It will determine what you receive from the Lord. You know, the Bible says that those that fear the Lord shall lack no good things, Psalms 34, 9. When you fear God and you live in submission to His Word which is a form of guarding your heart, you'll lack no good things spiritually, soulishly, physically, materially. God will provide every need that you have need of. He will provide for all that. Now, let's look at a few verses here concerning your heart, concerning my heart. The first thing I want you to see is this. God has given you a new heart. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that you're made a brand new creation. It's a miraculous thing that takes place when you believe on Jesus. And you're set free and you're made a brand new creation. All the old has passed away. Everything has become new. And your heart becomes brand new, your spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart of a man, the heart of a person, the heart of a woman... It's referring to your spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. We can see that from the testimony of Scripture. It's so apparent that people that are dead in sin, they either live from the intellect of their unrenewed mind or the lust of their flesh or go back and forth between the two. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that if you are not saved, you are dead in sins. You're dead in trespasses. You're dead in sin. Now, obviously, they're physically breathing. You know, think about it. Before you believed on Jesus, you were dead in sin, but you were physically breathing, right? You, you, you went to school. You went to work. You, you knew people. You, maybe you're married. Maybe you had kids. You're, you're a parent. You're, friend, you're hanging out with friends. You're doing stuff, right? But the Bible says you're dead in sin. So what is dead? Your spirit. Your spirit is dead. It is dead in sin. It is separated from the life of God. It is separated from the source of life, which is God. And when you believe on Jesus, you get a brand new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When you receive Christ, you're given a new heart, a heart of flesh, and you're given a new spirit. Notice that. The heart you had was a heart of stone. And he takes that heart of stone out of you and gives you a heart of flesh or a heart that is soft. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and you'll do them. So when you become a, when you're a Christian, when you become a new creation in Christ, when you believe on Jesus, you get a brand new heart. A heart that is soft and tender before the Lord. The psalmist, what does the psalmist say? A broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not turn, or, turn away. You don't want a hard heart. A hard heart is a heart that has been deceived and turned from the truth of God. A heart that is hardened from the things of God is a heart that is dead in sin, that has turned cold. That's not what you have as a Christian. As a believer, you have a soft heart. You have a heart of flesh. You have a heart that wants to do the things of God. Verse 27, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. Well, that right there proves that when you're saved, you're set free from the dominion of sin so that you can live holy unto God. This idea of, you know, I'm, I love Jesus, but I still live in sin and, you know, I'm not separated from, from the things that I used to do before Christ. I still do them. I still look the same. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. When you get saved, you get set free. You get a new heart. You get a new spirit. And this is why Proverbs 4 commands us by the Spirit of the Lord. He's commanding us through this proverb, guard your heart. Because the heart you have now is not the one you were born with. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, all have been born into sin. We all are in need of a Savior. But when we receive Jesus, we get a brand new heart. And this is why you have to guard that heart so that Satan cannot contaminate it and poison it with deception and lies. See, God knows your heart. God knows you from the depths of who you are on the inside. You know, maybe you can, uh, people might be able to fool people. You know, folks might be able to pull off a, an act or look good on the outward or, or say the right things or maybe do the right things for a time. I don't believe anyone gets away with it for long. But no one stands before God and, be, and is able to pull off an act or pretend they are something that they're not. See, because God knows our heart. We guard our heart because God knows our heart. Think about that. I'm guarding my heart because God knows my heart. And He's given me a new heart that I'm responsible for. And I have a responsibility to cherish it, to treasure it, to protect it, my relationship with Christ. And it's not a game to be played because God searches my heart. Psalms 139.23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in my way everlasting. I'm going to read that in the New Living as well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. How do you guard your heart? You let the Lord reveal things in you that don't need to be there. That's a prayer that I pray that you should pray. Lord, search my heart. Is there anything that has slipped by? Is there anything that I've, that I've allowed to slip through? Is there something in my heart that shouldn't be there? Because you know my heart. Even if I deceive my own self, I can't deceive you, Lord. Search me, know me, test me. Are there anxious thoughts? Is there something in my heart that I've not cast onto you? 1 Peter 5, 7. 
cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Is there something that I'm wrongfully carrying? You were never meant to carry worries. Worries is a burden that you are not empowered to carry. What does Jesus say? Why, why worry for tomorrow? Today has a sufficient evils of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. You can't add, a, you can't add one in, inch to your height, no matter how much you thought or worried about your height. As he says, you can't add anything to your stature. Worrying will do nothing but steal your peace. So search me, Lord. Know my heart. Is there something in me that's making me anxious, that's making me worry? Because what is worry other than opposite of faith? Faith and worry are opposites. When you trust God, you will give over any anxious thoughts you have to Him. Verse 24, point out anything in me that offends you. New King James says, see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm reminded of John 15. When Jesus is teaching this parable, the parable of the vine, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the husbandman or the gardener. He is the one, the vine dresser. The father comes and he clips away what is dead. Now branches that are dead get cut away and thrown into the fire. But the branches also, notice this, the branches, in fact, let me turn there. Instead of me just trying to rehearse it by memory, it's John 15. This, is, this, this will bless you. John 15, verse 1, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now look here, verse 5 of that chapter, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him who bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And then he goes in verse 6, the vine that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it away, casts it into the fire. <clears throat> Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this is something that Jesus has showed us. As you're bearing fruit, the Lord will prune or cut away whatever is hindering you from bearing more fruit. It's one thing to bear fruit. It's another to bear more fruit. And so the Father, the Lord, He searches our hearts to know if there's something that's offensive to Him. And that should be our desire and our prayer. Because I don't want anything to root itself in my heart. I don't want anything to attach itself to my heart that would hurt my relationship with the Lord. And so this is a, this is a prayer that David was praying, and he's praying unto the Lord. He's saying, Lord, search my heart. I don't want anything in me that offends you. I don't want anything in me that would cause me to sin against you. If there's anything that's offensive in me, highlight it, point it out. And then it says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. Well, that takes us right back to Proverbs 4.23. Why are we keeping our heart? Why do we guard our heart? Because out of it spring up the issues of life, or it determines the course of your life. If you'll keep your heart clean and remove from it anything that is offensive to God, it will take you down the path of everlasting life. It will take you down the path of life eternal. So God says, he will give you a new heart. He knows your heart. Now, these are three types of hearts that you never want. We're talking about guarding your heart. I want to show you three different scriptural examples of what your heart can become if you do not guard your heart. The, these are three possibilities that your heart could become if you do not watch over your heart. And, you know, that's how life is. It, <clears throat> it doesn't take any work, you know, it's it's raining right now as I'm recording this episode of the podcast, and my it's been a while since it's rained here in Lawrence, South Carolina, and a lot of the grass is brown, a lot of the vegetation is dying, a lot of the trees were, were real dried up, and last time I cut grass, it was basically just a bunch of dust, but it's been raining a little bit over the past few days and even more so now. 
And, you know, without rain, it will produce death, right? That, that, that grass is just going to die. And so as, as the rain comes, it brings life. It brings life back to what was dead. And, and so there's, there's possibilities of what your heart can become because, as I was mentioning with the, with the grass, I kind of lost my thought there, honestly. <laughs> with the grass, you don't have to do anything to let your yard just go to kaput, right? If it doesn't rain, it dries up. But if you want a really nice yard and it's not raining, what do you have to do? You've got to water it. If you if you want your yard to look pristine and like a golf course, you're going to have to go through and kill the weeds. But if you don't care, you just let anything grow, right? I don't really have a yard of grass. I have a yard of many different weeds that are all cut to the same height, which looks good than just not being cut at all with the lawnmower, of course. But you don't have to do anything to allow your yard to just do whatever it does. Same way with a house. Some of you, you know, uh, some of you are still in school. You haven't bought a house yet. But let me go ahead and give you a fair warning. You can buy a home, and that home will decay. Things will go. Things will be broken and stay broken. Things will rot, wood will rot. Leaks will happen if you don't take care of the house. You just don't do anything, and over time, that house will fall in eventually. It takes no effort for things to decay or be destroyed. What takes effort is to preserve. What takes effort is to maintain. And so we've been given a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And God knows our heart. But lest we watch over and guard our heart, these, there are three different types of hearts our heart can become. And this first one is an unclean heart. Psalms 51.10 says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast away, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalms 51.11. So if this psalm, David is praying this psalm after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he murdered his, her wife Uriah. Uriah was one of the mighty men, one of his mighty men of valor that was with him from days before he was even a king. And David was not where he was supposed to be as king. It says, when you go and read that account of before he sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, David is in the palace. But when you read that chapter in the Bible, I believe it's 2 Samuel It says the time when kings went to war, David was at the palace. David was not where he was supposed to be fighting the wars of Israel. He was at home in the palace and he sent his armies and he sent other people to do his job. And because he was not obedient and he was not where he was supposed to be, that gave Satan an opportunity to tempt him. And David fell for the temptation. And unfortunately, like a lot of people, when he falls for the temptation, he commits adultery. That's sin. And what does he do? He tries to use sin to cover up the first sin. He kills Uriah. One of of the most faithful men that he had, he kills him. And then Bathsheba becomes pregnant. Well, okay, I'll marry her. Then she has a child, and their first child dies. So those sins produce destruction. And then he is confronted by the prophet Nathan. And when David realizes that he has sinned in what he has done, murdering Uriah and committing adultery with Bathsheba, he says this. He says this. He says, to you alone, O God, I have sinned. I think that's so powerful because when the sin he committed was obviously against Bathsheba when he committed adultery. And it was when he committed murder, it was against Uriah. But in Psalms 51, 4, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David's saying, I sinned, and it may have been toward these people, but in the, at the end of the day, I sinned against you. 
And so he gets to verse 10, and it's a prayer of repentance. Psalms 51 is a prayer of repentance. And he gets to verse 10, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, if you do not watch over your heart, David wasn't watching over his heart. And it allowed for him to sin against not just Bathsheba and Uriah and himself and his future son that would be that would die because of that sin and the nation of Israel because from that point forward, Israel declines. But he sinned against God because he didn't watch over his heart. See, if you do not watch over your heart, if you do not guard your heart, you're leaving room for sin to come in and make your heart unclean. You don't want an unclean heart. You don't want a heart that is offensive to God. This is the second type. Now, let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 12. This is the second heart that you can have if you do not watch or guard over your heart. Again, the command of Scripture is guard your heart. But notice this, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. It says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Well, I'm sorry. That's not right. Matthew 24, 12. Verse 12. Oh, I'm, I'm reading verse 14. I guess it would help if I actually looked at the verse four, at the actual verse I wrote down. Matthew 24, 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. If you don't guard your heart, your heart can become a cold heart. We just saw that if you don't guard your heart, it can become unclean. But if you don't guard your heart, it will become cold. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 25 has to do with a lot of the end time prophecies. And Jesus is teaching to his disciples and to you and me about what is to come in the days that are to come. The rapture, the second coming, the tribulation. And in the day and age which we are living, we see what is taking place. Verse 11, it says there's many false prophets. Verse 12, it says there's a spirit of lawlessness. You can see that in my nation in America. You can see the spirit of lawlessness that's taking place. And he says the love of many will grow cold. Why is there a spirit of lawlessness, which is the spirit of Antichrist? Because the love of many has grown cold. Why do you see people do evil things? Because they have a cold heart. Why do you see people wrong one another? Because their heart's cold. It's not turned towards the things of God. They didn't guard their heart. Now you might think, well, that's talking about, a cold heart would be talking about a sinner, AJ. Well, here's the thing. What does Jesus say in the book of Revelation? When he's talking to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, he tells them, he tells one of the churches that they need to repent. Here it is. I knew I could find it. Revelation 3 Verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say, says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15, I know your works and that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, these people's heart had grown cold, had grown lukewarm. Lukewarm is even worse, isn't it? You know, it's like with pizza. Personally, myself, I want pizza piping hot. But I know some of you that are listening, you may enjoy cold pizza. I've got a friend. Of course, he likes it hot. But if he's not going to eat it hot, he wants it cold out of the fridge. He likes it just he likes cold pizza. Some people like pizza cold. They rather eat leftover pizza cold than warm it up. But what's worse? Pizza that's not hot, but also not refrigerated cold. It's just, eh, it's lukewarm. And that's what takes place in the hearts of people if they don't watch over their relationship with Jesus. If they allow Satan to deceive them. If they allow their hearts to grow cold. They come to a place where Jesus doesn't even want to have any part with them. Don't let that be you. That's not you. You are part of the faithful We are the faithful who will keep our hearts hot with the fire of God. 
We want our heart to be hot with love. We want to return to our first love and have our heart filled with the fire of God. Now, as I mentioned, there's three possibilities of what your heart can become if you do not guard it. First one, it can become unclean. Second one, it can become cold. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, tells us the third possibility of what your heart will become if you do not guard it. Hebrews 3, 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you don't guard your heart, uh, in particular Hebrews 3 is mentioning, if you don't guard your heart from unbelief, your heart will actually become an evil heart. If unbelief and doubt creep into your heart, in the eyes of God, your heart will become evil. And Hebrews 3 and 4 is teaching on what happened with the children of Israel. And it calls to account several instances of the children of Israel, how they doubted God and his word. Specifically, when when they are freed from the bondage of Egypt and Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, they're literally like three weeks away from the promised land. But because of the 10 spies, they, Moses sends 12 spies to spy out the promised land. The 12 come back. Joshua and Caleb have a spirit of faith. They say, let's go take the promised land. But the 10 spies have an evil heart of unbelief. And that's what Hebrews 3 is talking about here. And it robbed them of their inheritance. When unbelief invades your heart, sneaks into your heart, poisons your heart, you have a heart that now has become evil in the sight of God. Unbelief is evil in the sight of God. But think about it. Who am I? Who am I to doubt God? Creator of heaven and earth, the almighty God, author and finisher of my faith. Who am I to doubt him? If he says, by, by, the Christ, by the stripes of Christ, you were healed, then I am healed, and I refuse to doubt. Who am I to doubt God? If he says, if I put, keep my thoughts on him, that he will fill my life with peace, Isaiah 26, 3, that if Philippians 4, 6, be not anxious, but in all things, in prayer, you know, bring all things to, before the Lord in prayer, who am I to doubt God? If God says that as I bring everything to him in prayer, he will give me a, a, a heart of peace, the God of peace that passes understanding will comfort my heart, who am I to doubt that? Romans 15 tells us that the God of peace will sanctify us wholly, spirit, soul, and body. Who am I to doubt God who says he can sanctify or set me apart wholly unto him? Who am I to doubt God? It is evil. It's, it's evil to enter into unbelief. It is evil to enter into unbelief. And so we have to guard our heart from unbelief. Now, as we finish up here, you might think, okay, all right, that's, that's great. You've convinced me, AJ. I've got to guard my heart. But how? How do I guard my heart? Okay, let's get into some practical things as we finish up this episode. How do you practically guard your heart? Well, let's go back to our main scripture, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Verse 24, put away from you a deceitful or devious mouth and put perverse lips far from you. You want to guard your heart? You need to watch what you're saying. Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So actually listen to what you're saying. I know that may sound funny. Because like, you know, it's not like you're going to close your ears when you talk. But actually listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Are you speaking words of faith or doubt? Are you speaking words of love or hate? 
Are your words, as Colossians 4 verse 6 says, are your words seasoned with grace? Or do you cut people down? Are your words filled with the life and truth of God's word? Do you know how to lead someone to Christ? Can you, with your words, testify of what God has done in your life, giving an account of salvation? Because if you'll listen to what you say, you actually will be able to know what's in your heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34 through 37, Jesus gives us this teaching. He says, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit, and out of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're listening to yourself talk and you think, hmm, I don't think Jesus would say that, that means there's something in your heart that's not in the heart of Christ. Well, no, I was just, I was just going on. I was just talking. No, seriously, be honest with yourself. If you were to uh, think about it this way, we no longer have tape players, right? Some of you listening don't even know what a, tape, a cassette tape is, as crazy as that sounds. But let's say you, you take your iPhone, you take your smartphone, and you go to the voice memo app and you hit record and you just let it run nonstop all day. And you go back and listen to every word you said. If you did that, you would be able to determine what your heart is full of. Oop, I don't want to go too far and say it's full of it. <laughs> you would be able to determine what your heart is filled with by what you say. You cannot separate the two. The mouth and the heart are connected. That's what Jesus said. So the mouth is a test of what's in your heart. You want to guard your heart? Guard your mouth. Okay, so what if you hear yourself speaking doubt and unbelief? What if you hear yourself cutting people down with words? What if you hear yourself not speaking the truth? You're going to have to take a hold of yourself discipline yourself actually actually think before you speak that that would be i think that's a lost art in today's world actually think about what you're about to say and and stop and say okay you know what this is what i want to say but it doesn't line up with god's word so i'm just going to keep my mouth shut and what will take place is over time you'll as you renew your mind and your heart your your words will change don't allow just anything to come through your ears, in your mind, down through your heart, and back out your mouth. If you, what you hear doesn't line up with the Word of God, stop talking it. If your words aren't seasoned with grace, get, get that old salt shaker of grace and, and spread it on your words. If you'll guard your mouth, you'll guard your heart. Verse 25 of Proverbs 4. As we keep moving along, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. You want to guard your heart? Guard your eyes. What are you looking at? Who are you watching? And you could get super spiritual, I guess, if you want. And it probably wouldn't be that bad either. But I'm talking just practically. At, the, at this moment, practically, what are you watching? What Instagram accounts are you following? What TikTok accounts are you watching? What YouTube channels are you subscribed to? What news programs are you watching to the point to where you've got more news in your heart than you do the Word of God? Uh, what, what Christian, quote-unquote, folk are you watching? Are they speaking the Word of God? Are they, are they teaching the Word of God? Well, he's a preacher and he's on TV. That's fine. Does he know actually what's in the Bible? What podcasts? Well, you're not watching with your eyes on a podcast, are you? Audio. <laughs> but, but what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you allowing to come in through your eyes? But also, let's go one more step further, as I mentioned. Your faith and what you believe on is directly related to the, eye, what your, the eyes of your heart look on. Your spiritual vision. You know, God told this to Abraham. He told Abraham, lift up your eyes, Abraham, and look. Look at the stars. See all those stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. 
Then he says, look at the sand on the seashore. See all those grains of sand? That's how many children you're going to have. God told Abraham to look at where he was going. He told him to look at stars and look at the grains of sand. Look at this massive amount uh, of sand, a massive amount of stars, so much you can't number it. That's what my word's going to produce in you. That's how many children. Abraham, you want one son. You want one heir. But I'm trying to show you that by faith, you're going to have so many heirs, you won't even be able to number them. And God told him to lift up his eyes. He did it in Genesis 22 when he obeys the command of God as a test to bring Isaac as a sacrifice before he follows through with with that knife and killing Isaac. The angel of the Lord stops and says, Now I know that you fear me, Abraham. And it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a ram stuck in the thicket. At the point that he obeyed and lifted up his eyes, his needs were met. So what you're putting your spiritual eyesight on, what you're looking at, who you're mirroring, and who you are imitating matters. Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate God even as children imitate their fathers. How do you imitate someone? You watch them. Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians, he's telling to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, watch what I do, do what I do, because what I'm doing is what I've seen Christ do. How do you imitate someone? You watch them. What are you looking at? Because you've got to keep your eyes set straight ahead. You've got to keep your eyes and your sight, what you're watching and what you're looking on, pure. Because if you're watching the wrong people, if you're watching the wrong information, it'll contaminate your heart. Psalms 101 verse 3, it says this, set no wicked things before me. The psalmist said, I don't don't even want to look at wicked things. If you look at wicked things, your heart will be contaminated with wicked things. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us to look to Christ the author and finisher of our faith. In fact, let me read that one. I I love that one. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isaiah 50 says that Jesus set his face like flint, looking beyond the cross to the joy set before him. In verse 2, we see that, Hebrews 12, 2. He looked, we looked at Jesus, and Jesus, what did he do when he was going to the cross? He looked past the cross to the joy set before him, which is you and me being saved and set free from the bondage of sin, being made new creations in Christ, having a relationship with him. That's what he looked at. And because he looked at his joy, his reward, people being saved, he was able to endure the cross. Look beyond what is to what will be by faith. And and I mentioned Abraham already, but Abraham and Lot, his nephew Lot, it's interesting, and I'm here in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11.10, Abraham, he looked for a city whose foundations and whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking for a place that God wanted him to have, the promised land. And spiritually, he was looking for heaven. But the Bible says in Genesis 13, 10 through 13, that Lot, he had a choice. Him and Abraham, they grew so wealthy. They grew so large. They were so blessed that their their herdsmen and the people that watched and ranched over all their cattle began to, to fight over land and water. And so Abraham, being very gracious and very kind and a man of faith, told Lot, look, you're, you go one way and I'll go the opposite. But we're too large to live so close to one another. So you pick. You pick wherever you want to go and I'll go the opposite direction. 
Genesis 10, 13, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and the Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So Lot sees toward the east where Sodom and Gomorrah is. He sees that direction as very, very lush and green and well watered with the Jordan uh, River, and it's like the land of Egypt. It's a good place to raise cattle. So verse 12, Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, the promised land, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, notice this, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. In Genesis 13, Lot is living near Sodom with his tents pitched towards Sodom. What does that mean? When Lot was getting up every morning and walking out of his tents, what did he see? He saw the city of Sodom. The next time you read about Lot in the book of Genesis, he's living in Sodom. He started off outside of Sodom looking towards it. And he looked at that city so much, you can imagine, he thought, you know what? It sure would be nice to live in there. They're having a lot of fun over there. I think I might just see if there's a place open that I can live in the city. Then I would have to go back and forth in the city so much after all. Anyway, it's where I do business with. He started off looking towards the city, ended up in it. What you look at is where you're headed. It's where you will end up being. And that leads me to this last part. In Proverbs 4, in the last two verses of what we read in our, in our main section of Scripture, Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27, Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left, and remove your foot from evil. You want to guard your heart? Guard your decisions. Judge what you're doing, whether it's right or wrong, according to the Word of God. You know, the Bible tells us to do that continually. It's a good thing to allow, again, kind of going back full circle to what, what the Lord was saying uh, <clears throat> when we looked at uh, Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know if I have any anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of, path of everlasting life. It brings us back to full circle because 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 tell us this. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 tell us to examine ourselves. Now that may not sound like fun, but it's very beneficial. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. We are to examine ourselves. Test ourselves. Judge ourselves. You know, concerning communion. In, in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul's talking about a lot of different things. And right before he talks about all these marvelous spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit endows the church with, he says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one and 32, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. He's encouraging people there, specifically in this instance, before you take communion, you need to examine, judge yourself, make sure you're not taking communion lightly or lightly esteem it or just flippantly, yeah, okay, yeah, juice and crackers, cool. But that you actually search your heart and say, Lord, what I'm doing outwardly as a symbol that I've received the blood of Christ for the remission of my sins and your broken body for the healing of mine, Am I worthy of this by faith? Not that I've earned it, but am I believing? Or is this just some religious practice? And the Bible tells us that some people have actually died sooner than they should have 
because they did not judge themselves. First Corinthians eleven thirty, right before it. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Or in other words, they're dead. You can actually end your life sooner than it should if you do not judge yourself. If you don't examine yourself, you can actually end your life sooner than you should die. And not only that, disqualify yourself from salvation. Because right there in verse 32, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two, But when you're judged, you're chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. See, now is the time to get right. Now is the time to say, Lord, search me. Now is the time to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Now is the time to say, Lord, I don't want a cold heart. I want a heart that's hot with the fire of you, O God. Now is the time to make sure you do not allow unbelief to contaminate your heart and make it an evil heart of unbelief. Now is the time to weigh and ponder and stop and think, am I guarding my heart? Am I keeping it pure? Am I keeping it clean? Am I keeping it free from any of the lies and deceptions of Satan? And above all else, guard your heart. Hey, I'm so thankful that you've joined me here on the Faith for My Generation podcast. It's been another teaching podcast. And of course, twice a week, you've got brand new episodes every Monday, wake up calls, and every Thursday, teaching episodes. Last Thursday, I put up a live service that I was able to teach on. Uh, from a Mother's Day service at my church at Gospel Tabernacle. Hey, if you're in the Lawrence area, you know, within 10 hours of driving time or a few hours of flying, and you want to come join us, come check us out, Gospel Tabernacle Church in Lawrence, South Carolina. I pastor there uh, alongside my father and my pastor. And, um, Worship, lead the worship there. We'd love to have you. Come join us. Find us on YouTube. We're on YouTube as well and all the socials, Facebook and Instagram. And of course, this is the Faith or My Generation podcast. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you've added me on Apple or Google Stitcher so that you never miss an upcoming episode. And I'm so thankful that you've listened. And remember, we are the faithful. We'll catch you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.